So this, is, this sermon is part six of the life of Paul, uh, and it's entitled, Sometimes Even Good People Can't Work Together. Sometimes even good people can't work together. Good people like Paul and Barnabas. And so I'm going to give you a personal testimony in my life. Uh, when I was practicing law, and I had started the law firm uh, very early on. I was really only 25 when I started the law firm. And within a couple of years, I brought on a, a junior partner, a, a very outstanding man. He was a couple years older than I was, but he was uh, many things that I wasn't. He was a prototypical wasp. Now, you know me. I am not a prototypical wasp, all right? Uh, and we had a very different way of, of handling cases and going through life. Uh, and he was a very good-looking man. He was tall. He was composed. He was well-dressed. He went to Colgate University, and then he went to law school. He was captain of the Colgate tennis team. Uh, and he was one of these guys who always liked to find a way to compromise, to always try to cajole people. And that was not the way that I did business with the kind of people that we had to do business with, where we were suing government and we were against recalcitrant attorneys. I would often look to pull somebody's windpipe out uh, in order to advance our clients' cases. But he was not like that. And so one day, his office was next to mine, and I heard him on the phone for about an hour. And I could tell he was in pain, and he was cajoling this recalcitrant lawyer on the other side. Well, you, no, you have to look at it this way. No, you have to think about this. No, that's not reasonable. This went on for an hour. Finally, he said, well, we'll have to talk about it some more. He hangs the phone up, and he goes, after he hangs it up, jerk! <laughs> I said, no, no. No, 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 you've missed the whole point. No, you missed the whole point. That's not what we do. Before you hang the phone up, you say, jerk. And then you hang the phone up. Now, you see the prototypical difference between us, all right? That, that encapsulated everything you need to know. Well, as you could guess, within a couple years, we split uh, because we, he just could not you know, move along on the same level that I was as, as cases got more difficult and more difficult. And I give you that as the entree to this story about Paul and Barnabas. Good men, godly men, men God was using to effectuate the work of God, and yet there came a time when they couldn't get along. Uh, and so as they had come back from their missionary efforts and they're in Antioch, Antioch is growing and prospering, uh, and, and they're teaching the word of God, uh, and Gentiles are coming to faith in every way. Uh, after a few days of this, Paul proposed to Barnabas, and you can realize that, that Paul was like the gas, right? Paul was the gas. Paul said, let's go back to those churches we brought the word of God to. Let's go back and encourage them. And, and, and Barnabas said, that's a great idea. Let's do that. And so now they begin to put their plans together, and Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him. Now, you know that John Mark was his cousin, uh, and John Mark walked out on them on their last 
mission trip, walked out on them early on so that they had to lug their own luggage up 3,500 feet into the mountains. You can imagine what that was like. Paul was not well, uh, and, he, and he was suffering to do this. And so as they begin to have this discussion, all right, it, it turned from being a discussion into an argument and from an argument into tempers flaring. And as a result of that, tempers flaring, they left and went their separate ways. Mark, uh, Mark sailed with Barnabas, who went to Cyprus, which is where he was from. Uh, and Paul chose Silas uh, to be his new partner, who he went to Syria and Cilicia uh, to advance the kingdom of God. Now look on the board at Acts 15, verse 35. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement, and that's what the Bible tells us, that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, some things sound so outrageous when you read it in the Bible that you find it hard to believe. Here we see two of the most respected missionaries you will find in the Bible. Uh, and here it is. They come close to what I will call duking it out. Duking it out. Can you believe this? Missionaries don't do this. Missionaries don't argue. All they do is pray all day long. Well, guess what? That's not the answer. They're human beings in every way. And the Bible shows us the warts that they have. Uh, and, and yes, they have sacrificial lives. Yes, they've given their lives to God. But even as they've done that, they still have their own individual personalities. And when you see that, you recognize that God allows disparate personalities to work within the kingdom of God. And that's what this sermon is about. For you to recognize this, that not everybody's going to be like you. I thank God that they're not like me, really, all right? I th and you should thank God that they're not like you. You see, God uses a disparate personality to advance the kingdom of God. And so here he is. He shows us these outstanding godly men, warts and all. This is comforting to me. It should be comforting to you to recognize that we have shortfalls to recognize that we're not where God wants us to be, that God is perfecting us. And yet even within that perfection, God is going to use us. And so the sermon point I have that needs to be emphasized here is one of the characteristics I find most attractive about the Bible is its realism. God does not airbrush the saints. Uh, he shows them with all their warts and blemishes. And this is why you have one of the reasons why the Bible is to be trusted. It's not a book about fairy tales. The Bible shows you the heroes with their warts. 
All right? No other book does this, really. No other book that purports to be the work of God uh, from other religions. You don't see that. All right? But here you see it. For example, the Bible tells us Moses was a murderer. Uh, David had adultery and murder on his record as well. Uh, Jonah was a proud and bigoted prophet. Jacob lied regularly. And Abraham lied as well. Peter waffled when the pressure was on. All right? And even John the Baptist, that great, great prophet, that Jesus said no greater man born of woman was there. Even John the Baptist had his doubts. And so we should not be shocked, you see. We should not be shocked when Paul and Barnabas had their conflicts. They're due to come. They will come. They'll come in every relationship. Yes, I'm sorry to say most likely they'll even come in this chapter. Uh, and so at the close of Acts, Acts chapter 15, you're going to see these two men parting company. Now this powerhouse ministry team uh, of Paul and Barnabas is almost without rival in Scripture. You don't see it really have any rival. Uh, and the di disagreement caused such a rift that they will permanently be separated. They will never come together again. Their paths will never cross again. Uh, and so here they are, all caught up in the excitement of the first ministry, and yet now this disagreement profoundly affects the future of their mission work. Uh, and so they had co-founded numerous churches uh, and advanced the kingdom of God in such a powerful way. In fact, a good part of Acts chapter 15, and read it when you go home, uh, involves the Jerusalem Council, where these two men traveled to Jerusalem to meet with the original apostles and to tell them that their strategy of dealing with Gentiles was wrong. The, the apostles in Jerusalem wanted the Gentile believers to become Jews first in order to become Christians. They insisted that they needed to be circumcised. But Paul uh, and Barnabas proved that that was not the case, that God had called them and that they were saved. They didn't have to become Jews first. They effectively had become saved Christians. And that became a, a significant issue in the transformation uh, of the church as it moved forward. Uh, and so what they learned was that the Gentiles were saved and covered by the grace of God. All right? Paul and Barnabas did that. And so here's the sermon point I have for you as you take the practical out of this sermon, and that is this. God reserves the right to use people who disagree with me. How about that? All right? Not theologically, but maybe in procedure or process or custom. Not theologically, but in those issues. And we have to remember that. We have to be sensitive to that, especially as we grow as a church. You can just imagine the discussion between these two men. The longer they argued, the more the heat intensified, the more the verbal debate intensified. Neither party gave ground. Uh, they had irreconcilable differences. In some ways, I'm very pleased that God gives us a look into this because it exposes for me how my own life is and how I have to be sensitive about these issues. These men were not angels. They were men. Remember that. As great as they were, as much as God used them, they were still men. They were good men. They were godly men. But they weren't perfect men. 
Uh, and it must have struck Paul directly uh, that Barnabas would include a proven defector, a proven failure. Also, it must have disappointed Barnabas significantly to recognize that Paul, of all people, did not have enough grace to forgive John. After all, Paul, look in the mirror. Remember where you were. Remember of the hundreds of people that you persecuted and even put to death. Where's the grace? Where's the grace? You can imagine the poignancy of this debate. Uh, and, and so here's, here's an important sermon maxim to remember as you leave church today. God reserves the right to use people who are different from me and who might disagree with me. I have to remember this every day. It's important for you to recognize that. We're not all the same. We don't all speak the same way. We don't all come to conflict in the same way. And so as we make important strides in our spiritual life, this becomes important to, to remember, that, that we deal with a disparate group of people uh, who may think differently from us. And so here's, here's an important sermon point. There are three important elements uh, that need to be discussed here uh, in terms of having a disagreement in ministry or in any other part of your life, including marriage. Yes, including marriage. First, in every disagreement, there may be one issue, but generally several viewpoints. Several viewpoints. There's not just one viewpoint. There's not just one correct viewpoint. We're not talking about doctrinal issues here, but we're kind of talking about general customary conditions. And so we need to be aware of that, even as you have disagreements with your wife or, or your friends uh, or those in church who are doing ministry. There are several viewpoints. Uh, and, and so a disagreement is a conflict that has several viewpoints, and it has opposing points of view. And you need to be aware of that and to be conscious of that. Here, each missionary saw the disagreement only in his own position. He didn't see it from the light of the other side. Now, second, in such disagreements, each side has some validity, and that's generally the case in these kinds of disagreements. Each side has some validity. Third, in heated disagreements, uh, someone usually gets hurt. Words are painful. Once you launch words, they're like missiles. You can't take them back. And the pain of those words lingers long after you would want it to linger. And so the more intense the heat, the more intense the wound. No one is immune to hurt. Sharp words are like shrapnel. Uh, and we need to remember this, really, in, in any kind of relationship you have. And I would say this to you in your marriage. If you want to have a long and happy marriage, and I'm blessed by God to be approaching my 50th wedding anniversary. That's the work of my wife. Because the guy who would pull out windpipes was not the easiest guy to come home to 
but she had a lot of grace and mercy. But here's the point of that. Remember when you're about to launch a word missile. Am I right? Remember when you're about to launch a word missile. I would say, Lord, have mercy on me. Help me to filter my tongue. Because once you launch it, you can't take it back. And you see that here in this tremendous disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Second sermon point here. Uh, Should a person who once walked away from a serious responsibility be given a second chance? Should he be given a second chance? That's something that you need to reflect on here. Barnabas was concerned about the man, but Paul was concerned about the mission. And so here Barnabas said yes, his cousin, he was concerned about his cousin, he loved his cousin, uh, but Paul said no, he was concerned about the mission. Uh, and so Paul was, was, was concerned that the mission would be jeopardized. Uh, and he, it boiled down to him a lack of dependability. Can I depend on a guy who has walked out on me before? Can I put him in a position where he could walk out before? Well, think about this as you reflect on it. And it's so easy for us to make judgments 2,000 years later. But think about this. Would you loan money to someone who failed to repay you the first amount he borrowed? This is why there was such a disagreement. You understand? He had proved to be a failure. Yes, he could probably be used again in ministry, but he wasn't going to be used again in ministry with Paul when he was on the cutting line of advancing the kingdom of God. You see the different point of view. Now, each of these guys could have pointed to Scripture to support their position. And I love that about the Bible, all right? Because the Bible gives you a chance to look at, at situations both ways. Each could have done that. Paul could have quoted to Proverbs 25, verse 19. And we'll put that on the board. 25, verse 19. Uh, there, like a broken tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in a time of trouble. The Proverbs is great, isn't it? Like a broken tooth or a lame foot, relying on someone who's not responsible or faithful is failure. But then Barnabas, you see, uh, could have quoted Psalm 103, verse 3, where it speaks about God who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, and crowns you with love and compassion. What a beautiful verse, recognizing God as the God of second chances. And so the second point here is that there's no doubt about it. God offers second chances. I can say that in my own life. God has been gracious to me and given me second chances. But he also holds us accountable. Amen. You understand that? He holds us accountable. Yes, he forgave David the act of adultery, but he took the baby. You understand? He took the baby, and David died at the age of 70, and David was never allowed to build the temple. All of that was accountability by God. Yes, he forgave him, but there still is accountability, and that we have to recognize this. God is a God of grace, but he also represents justice. After the breakup, you will never again read about Paul and Barnabas 
uh, as partners. Never again. And so here's the point. There are Christians who refuse to talk to each other because of their differences. Snap out of it. Snap out of it. There is no way to live in this age of grace. And this incredible story gives us hope as we see what happens when we allow these disagreements to filter into our life. Now, Barnabas took Mark uh, and sailed with him to, to Cyprus. And Paul took Silas and, set, and went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening those churches. Uh, and here is the key, God multiplied by dividing. God multiplied by dividing. As they had split up, they effectively effectuated the work of God at an even doubling capacity as God used the split to do that. Now, those of us in this church are well aware of what's happened when there have been church splits and what has occurred because of this. This church right here that we're a part of is a result of that. And there are other churches. And so what does it mean? It means that God will take evil and make good out of it. I want to say that to you. That's one of the verses I put on my refrigerator uh, that's so meaningful to me in my own life, and that's Joseph. After 17 years of being sold to slavery and being put in prison, coming to meet his brothers and saying to his brothers who had perpetuated all of that, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Wow. God meant for good. God could take evil and transform it into good. And I want you to know that that affects every one of your lives. All of you have been touched in some way by some act of evil. But I want you to know something. God is in charge. He will take that evil. He will make it good in a, in a very powerful way. And he did that here with Barnabas and with Paul. Even though they should never have broken up, God used it. Now, let's make no mistake here. Uh, don't say that God allowed the evil. God doesn't allow the evil. The evil takes place because we're a fundamentally evil people, because we have sin, because we still have the Adamic nature, and so it props up. But God takes that evil that percolates up, and God transforms it into something good. Amen. All right? Into something good. Uh, and so here are four lessons that we can learn uh, during these times of disagreements that I would ask you to think about. First, in a disagreement, whether it's in a marriage or it's in a church or in some other capacity, work hard to see the other point of view. They didn't do that here. Work hard. Work hard. Ask God to give you grace to see the other point of view. Uh, and this begins with listening. How about that? So, so many of us are more interested in talking. We want to talk about ourselves. We want to give our peace. We want to lay out our arguments. Stop. Listen. Listen to what the other side has to say. Uh, and we need honesty. We need objectivity. And we need humility. Humility. It's not easy to be humble during disagreements when you want to rise up and sometimes even grab the other person. Stop. Ask God to give you grace. Uh, Paul said it best in his letter to the Philippians, and I love this. This is Paul speaking now. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Wow, Paul, you wrote that? No, the Holy Spirit wrote it. You understand? The Holy Spirit wrote it. And so even when a man with warts, a man with defectiveness, could write that when he was being used by the Holy Spirit, and the truth of God comes out. This is an essential rule of reconciliation. You want to be reconciled? Well, think about the other side first as you ask God to give you grace and mercy about this. Second, when both sides have a valid position, seek a wise compromise. Look, these are not doctrinal issues. You're not talking about the Trinity. You're not talking about salvation in which we have no compromise. We will never compromise on those base issues. But on something like this, whether a guy can go on a trip or not with you, or on some other customary issue that you may face, or in some issue in your marriage, we're going to take a trip, we're going to go on vacation, think about it, and a big argument ensues. Think about what you're doing and find a way to compromise. To compromise. Either Paul or Barnabas here could have offered a reasonable compromise. There were plenty of compromises here. John Mark didn't have to go on the whole trip. He could have gone uh, a partway proving his validity. Uh, giving in would not have meant heresy. It wasn't a doctrinal issue. Uh, conflict is natural. Conflict comes. Everyone should be willing to find a way to compromise in every possible human relationship that you have. Uh, and third, when the conflict persists, compromise enough to work it through rather than walk out. Walk out. Walking out is horrendous. Horrendous. Another horrendous thing is the silent treatment. I see a lot of nods in the church. I'm convinced I have a lot of people that have been masters of the silent treatment. You know what that's like especially appropriate in certain marriages where you see the silent treatment go on for weeks. I have no idea how this could be. I was never good at the silent treatment. I know that's a shock to you people. All right? If it was in my head, it was on my lips. But some people are masters of it. They can suffer in silence for weeks. And I want to tell you something. That is not godly. You're not advancing the kingdom of God. You're not advancing what God has for you. Uh, and so you need to see this. And so uh, when we disagree, the other thing we need to learn is that we can disagree without becoming disagreeable. How about that? We can disagree without becoming disagreeable. And I do think that Paul and Barnabas did that. And why do I say that? You never see Paul take a shot at Barnabas. You'll never see it. You'll never see a negative word, and the same with Barnabas. And I'm sure they thought about it. I'm sure they had thoughts about it, but you never see that. And I would say that that's something that the Bible teaches us. Never seeing a negative shot, never seeing a negative word, uh, a knock. Uh, and that, to me, is what it means to be a Christian. Yes, we disagree. Sometimes the disagreements are so profound 
that we break up some of these relationships, but we don't drag the other people down. And that's what I aspire for our church in every way as we go forward. And so the last piece of advice that we get from this section of Scripture is get over it. Get over it. All right? Get over it. Snap out of it. Don't sit there and linger in the pain. In the pain. It is amazing how many people brood over past injustice. Look, can we all agree? We've all suffered injustice in our life. All right? I always laughed when I heard people would come to me and say to me as a lawyer, I just want you to get justice. And I would say to them, well, the last place you're going to find it is in court. (laughs) And that's the truth. After having tried thousands of cases, I can tell you, the last place you find justice is in court. So if you're looking for justice, there's only one place you're going to find it. It's in heaven. You understand? It's in heaven. And God will take care of it. So get over it. Snap out of being a brooding person. Uh, And so many people continue to bleed years later. God has saved them. He's using them, and yet they're still bleeding years later over past wounds. We can't live our lives like this. This is not what God wants. And Paul and Barnabas got over it. That's the thing. They got over it. And God used them in a mighty way. They continued to perpetuate the gospel and start churches. There's a great quote that I'm going to put on the board here from Philip Melanchon, uh, who was the temporary force, the tempering force, really, in Martin Luther's life. Now, Martin Luther was not an easy guy. In a lot of ways, Martin Luther and I had similar character traits. Martin Luther was not an easy guy. He was a tough guy, all right? Uh, And he didn't have a real good filter on his mouth. You could see that from the 91 Thesis he put on the church where he indicted the Roman Catholic faith. But Melanchon became a very close confidant to Martin Luther. And here's what he said to Martin Luther. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Is that a fantastic statement? Is that a fantastic? That's how we want to live. That's what, we, you know, it's, that's what God tells us. Uh, um, in essentials, we're unified. When it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the doctrinal issues we face, we are unified in the doctrinal issues. But in non-essentials, we have liberty of the spirit. God allows us to have the liberty. But in all things, charity, charity, love, grace, Give us that ability to see with a filtering lens as we we advance the kingdom of God uh, in this world. Jesus said it best on the cross. Father, forgive them. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they are doing. Impaled on the cross as he's dying, he continues to intercede on behalf of his enemies. And that's what we need to do to pray for those who despise us. Pray for those who disagree with us. Pray that God gives us the grace to love them and to care for them and to put them before the throne of God. I know this is a hard thing to say, but it needs to be said. This is how God wants you to live. Amen, Amen, church?
Let's close with a prayer. Father, I thank you for the words that you've given us. I thank you for allowing us to see the curtain pulled aside and these great patriarchs, warts and all, and how you've used them even though they were imperfect. Father, we are imperfect. We have warts. And so, Father, I ask you that you anoint us and convict us and help us to draw closer to you, to help us to have the liberty of the Spirit and yet to be unified, to understand that you call people that may not agree with us, call people that may not speak the same as us, but, Father, call us to come together and advance the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray for our people. I pray that you continue to strengthen them, keep them together, and bring them back next week to continue the study of your word as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.